And so I started asking myself, so what are the things that are not going to change? Fathers and sons are always going to beef with each other. Mothers and daughters are always going to bump heads. People are always going to fall in love. People are always going to experience heartbreak. People are always going to have dreams. People are always going to have shames. And most importantly, everybody's going to have secrets. And it's what we do with those, all of those multifaceted parts of ourselves that's going to give us our pathway to creating whatever our classics are. So like whenever I'm making anything, I'm always asking like, you know, like, well, can I make this a classic? And what are the things that I can write about or the things that I can bring up in myself if I'm performing that are just not going to change? And then use that as kind of like my platform or jumping off point to create. We all, you know, we all hurt, we all love, we all eat shit and dream. And so like, if we can lean into that, maybe there's hope for us to like, you know, to be better for each other. Welcome everybody to the Baking Notes Podcast. Baking Notes Podcast. Girls, ladies and gentlemen, hamsters and and kittens. (laughs) What's good, Faking Fam? It's your boy TVK, and I'm so excited to share today's uh, conversation with Lee Edward Colston, the second today. He is a wonderful Juilliard colleague of Trevor and mine who wrote for The Blacklist Redemption and Mr. Robot. And he is a writer on the upcoming fourth season of Fargo. He is a teaching artist that prepares young actors and writers for college, graduate school, and the professional life beyond. Lee's a great friend of ours. It's an awesome conversation. And we really just, we, we talk from the highest highs to the lowest lows of his life and how he's overcome and kind of brought brought struggle, brought difficulties. He's gone from a prison guard to Juilliard to the theater to televisions near you. Our dear friend, Lee Edward Colston II. What's up, brothers? Oh my goodness. (laughs) The man himself. You talk about yourself, right? (laughs) No, man, I'm talking about you talking about you how you doing you beautiful chocolate man i you know this life ain't no crystal fair (laughs) today is is real uh i just want to just personally uh give a shout out to trevor for the black power fist in the background on this bookshelf yep Uh, gotta gotta have it it's subtly placed it's it's like the dnc in here you know i'm just (laughs) i'm so creative so creative i can spell you know <laughs> uh, what's up boys man i miss you guys i miss you too I miss bro. you too like we all have the same color wall it's just like what's the deal yeah i think it's kind of standard for apartment living anywhere you live it's like it's the perfect hue to make you just forget over time what your dreams were <laughs> um you know it's 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 subtle it's like uh Give up on all your life ambitions, taupe or something like that. Like, <laughs> mm, you know, I'm actually partial to the uh, never believe in yourself and submit yourself to the rat race beige. That's yeah. my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not yeah, quite yeah. off white. It's kind of like off sad. Like <laughs> <laughs> the world has been very heavy, Lee. And one of the wonderful things about you that I've found is that you are a person who. Who is that? There's like this Greek mythology. Is it Atlas, the man who carries the sky mm-hmm. on his shoulders? Yeah. You like your essence and your energy 
is it reminds me of that grand it feels like you feel like a grand responsibility for the well-being of other people and it's it's beautiful to see but i often i often think about you and wonder if you're taking care of yourself so you're taking care of yourself too bro yeah i'm trying to uh, i'm doing a lot better at that in 2020 than i mm-hmm. was in 2019 ironically enough even though 2020 <laughs> is more stressful for sure but yeah like in january i just wasn't doing really good at all and felt myself like on the cusp of like nervous breakdown or maybe i did have a nervous breakdown i don't know but like i wasn't doing good and i realized in that moment i was like that's because i'm not setting boundaries um mm. that's because i'm taking on too much that's because i wasn't saying no when i felt a no in my body and my partner he has this thing that he says about like you know like a resounding yes like you know so like whenever you're saying yes to something it has to be like it has to be like absolutely i'm all in i absolutely want to do this thing hmm. uh, as opposed to like maybe like maybe <laughs> like um so it's you know like i'm doing i'm i think i'm doing better in 2020 at taking care of myself it's a process yeah chip some teeth in the process but you know i learned some <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thanks again for for coming on. So you've had Mm -hmm. quite an incredible journey from where you've been weaving in and out the highs and the lows. You you take things in stride, you take it in, you absorb it, you push it out. It's it's like the, it's kind of like the green mile. You're just like, ah, and it starts spewing (laughs) out. You, you no, abs- no, I'm broke, bro. You, <laughs> you absorb, absorb, you absorb all this, this bullshit, and then you just like, ah, and you're just gonna like spit it out, and then emerge stronger. Superpower. <laughs> We're gonna be winding in and out throughout this episode. I'm sure. Through, yeah, how does this work? Yeah, through moments of history, it's always different for every guest. But for you, we're coming in with history because you know where you were, where you are in 2010. Uh, in, in 2015, oh, wow. in 2016, 19, 17, 18, 2020, to some degree, we'll, we'll just hop around in this timeline. First off, let's let's start with the now. So you've kind of like emerged as this this writer. You've always been a writer. It's it's been one of your driving forces. And then recently, it's been in TV land, which is what's brought you out to LA. Like, how has that experience been? It's very strange to me in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Um, because like it's the thing that I've been chasing for so long, career like just career wise, and it's fine. It didn't happen in the way that I thought it was going to, uh, and and now I'm here and I get to make cool shit, and uh, <laughs> you know I get to you know be a voice in the room. Like I remember like you know, and I'm, Drew, I'm sure you've had this experience too. Like you know, you're watching something and you're like. Ah, it's clear that they didn't handle black people in that room. Like, <laughs> how frustrating that is. And so then I'll like, you know, I'll be listening to something or I'll be in a room and I hear something like, ah, oh, that's so frustrating because like, you know, it's clear that like, you know, we need more black people in this room. Then like, oh wait, I am black person in yeah. this room. <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> in said room. So uh, mm-hmm. I have a responsibility. I feel a responsibility to speak up about the things that matter and the things that are important and to cultivate space that, I don't know, is, is, is brave um, and unflinching when it comes to like really talking about history and context and uh, our inner life and interconnectivity to other people. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, like we're all delicately interconnected. And so like, what's my responsibility in 
making sure that I am doing what I can do to move the needle forward, to leave the world better than when I found it and to leave other human, myself and other human beings softer than when I met them. Mm -hmm. So like, that's the responsibility that I feel as an artist and as a man and as a black man. So I love, I love that. Yeah. It's it's weird. Cause like, you know, Mm -hmm. I've been in, you know, in the struggle for most of my life. It's like, Oh, I've been, like, I don't actually just don't know what it's like to not be poor. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Cause like, I think going from where you, where you come from to being a TV writer and being a person who is a paragon of our community, you really, you really, really are. Uh, I, I see you as a pillar of the black community. And so like, what got you here? Like, where did you come from? man? And we're just gonna dive right in, huh? <laughs> uh, it, it, if you feel, if you feel less no, 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 comfortable, it's fine. It's fine. Like, yeah. I mean, like y'all, both of y'all know me really well. I'm an open book, and nothing is off limits for what we can talk about in this time, uh, except the Dallas Cowboys, because we can't talk. About it. <laughs> we will not be speaking um, about the Cowboys. Just, yeah. Yeah. Trust me, like there's since not much. Kaepernick, there's man, not much to talk about. There's in. not much to talk about with the Cowboys, anyways. I don't tune in. Yeah. I don't tune in. <laughs> We don't do uh, that. Shout out to my dad, who's a Cowboys fan. You know, <laughs> word. Okay. Oh, that's tough. Dad. House divided. House <laughs> oh, divided. My, my, whole, my whole house is divided. Um, yeah, it's like my my mom and my mom and me and my brother diehard Eagles fans, and my sisters and my father are lost souls. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Our other. So that's the. Yeah. <laughs> hey, just put a put a North Star quilt on the on the roof, bro. They'll find their way home. I, I just hope <laughs> they. I just hope that they can find their way home. I hope they see this too. Like, yeah. <laughs> Shots fired. We said what we said. We meant what we what meant. Um, <laughs> no, nah, man. Like uh, to kind of circle back. Like it's been an interesting journey. You know, like to. Uh, to quote a lost soul, uh, Kanye West, mm. um, you know, we wasn't supposed to make it past 25 jokes on you. We still alive. And that's kind of like how I feel my life is. And I, you know, like I grew up in Philly and I grew up in the middle of the hood and and had these ambitions on being an artist um, and ended up in law enforcement instead. And then left law enforcement because I knew I was meant to be doing something greater and I could feel in my bones at a young age that it was an evil system. And so I found something, you know, like I found something in myself to like, you know, to really focus on and really go after like, you know, like what are the things that I wanted to leave in the world? So yeah, man, like I don't, you know, I mean, it's a long around the bend kind of answer to your question but yeah it's been it's been a roller coaster of like you know a lot of different things that have gotten me to this point you know what's so funny is sorry i like swallowed something down the wrong pipe i hate what it's really funny bro i hate it when it happens man i'm eating black it's really funny right now yeah. <laughs> listen to my suffering okay yeah. so in my best batman impression voice mm-hmm. which batman yeah, uh, we got a new Christian one on Bale. the way. We Christian got a new Bale. one on. Oh yeah, Christian Bale. Uh, 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 anybody, anybody next to Heath Ledger? Anyway, so what I what I love about the way we met in our respective lives, we met each other at a crossroads in both of our lives. Amen. Juilliard. We're black men at Juilliard, a place that uh, doesn't have much of us around. 
to this day. To this day. I mean, there, there are more I've heard, but uh, mm-hmm. I remember seeing you very few times. The, the, many of the departments are busy doing their own things. But I would see you in the computer lab. And from the very first time we met, you told me about your time, <clears throat> time working as a prison guard. You, yeah. told, you told me about your experiences in Philly. You shared many of your traumas. And I, I just wanted to, first of all, I don't think I've ever thanked you for that, um, that vulnerability, because I really needed that. I really needed somebody else who saw me and understood me <clears throat> and also was dealing with their own things and was open. And since then, we've experienced a really, excuse me, a really uh, positive relationship that has inspired me to fight my demons inside and become who I was meant to be. Cause I, I was seeing you doing that. So I just wanted to thank you. I'm not doing this for you today. You know, I'm a softie. (laughs) Bro, you gotta be real, man. You gotta be real. I cry at sunsets and butterflies and all that shit. (laughs) Butterflies are beautiful. Butterflies are beautiful, man. You know, mm. but uh, but everybody overlooks the moth, though. The moths mm. are stronger. They they fly faster and they spin silk. Butterflies get all the attention because you know their wings are pretty. So I'm talking about be a moth. Like that's what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. Don't Just don't fly to the flame. Yeah. <laughs> I I I also want to like uh, I guess a uh, qu- quick little f- fun story is like our, our first experience. So. Um, for context, everyone, Lee and I actually lived together oh, right. in the yeah, same suite. No, but no, no. Here's, <laughs> here's why it's not not memorable. So I remember I I took it on as a challenge. So we're moving into a suite. There's seven or eight people in there, like five rooms. Oh, child, and yeah. and I knew. And so uh, I guess like we we lived in the same one as like the 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 you know the residence hall person, the RA yeah. or whatever. And so he told me, he's just like, oh, yeah, like, so this person's here, this person's here. And he's like, oh, like, Lee, he's an actor, which means you won't see him. And my sister's (laughs) in theater, so I knew that. So I actually, I literally did this. I took it as a challenge. I was like, I'm not going to knock on any door. I'm not going to, (laughs) I thought I was a game. I'm not going to, like, force an interaction. I'm literally going to time how long it takes for us to just see each other. (laughs) Mind you, we're we're two doors apart. We are two doors apart. We are, yeah. Two walls apart. And... Over a month in, I'm sitting on the couch in the little common area, and mm-hmm. in walks Lee, and like, so, and I, I heard all the legends. They're like, "Oh, he came back to school. Like, he's he's older, but he has this like fascinating backstory. He worked as a prison guard, and now he's he's here doing theater. You know, of of all things." And I was like, "Man, I just build up the the mythology." And six, <laughs> yeah, six weeks later, That's we beautiful. finally cross paths. Two two walls, two doors down. Uh-huh. I finally meet Lee. And I think we probably had maybe one conversation <laughs> for an entire <laughs> year, one. And it was profound enough, and I remember it. And just like, it was, it hit deep instantly. So like, that was our first That's interaction. Funny. We're sitting down in these these ridiculously blue couches yes. and like talking about like life and mission and purpose with someone who not only, I, you know, when I'm meeting for the first time, I was meeting for the first time after six weeks of not meeting. Um, <laughs> of, me, of me being a ghost. Yeah. And so, and we, I mean, we were busy, but then we, we actually kind of like start to interact more post-school, which is mm-hmm. probably a very Juilliard story as well. So. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, like my experience is like, you know, like one, I was like the only black person in that suite. Um, and so it's like me and a bunch of white boys. And I'm like, I, I can't today. 
<laughs> so I'm like, all right, uh, I've lived enough life uh, to know that, like, you know, this doesn't end well. <laughs> this, 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 this has the potential to not end well. And and then also like uh, I was I can't I was there for grad school and there was a bunch of people there for like for college and like mm-hmm. like oh I'm drinking for the first time I lost my virginity on Friday and it's yeah. like mm-hmm. you know, like all right. of that experience and I was like I I got shit to do I don't I don't have time and well, so it's Juilliard so yeah they lose their virginity when they're twenty yeah it's, yeah it's normal twenty twenty five people until yeah. they're twelve you yeah. Know? <laughs> dealing with just like you know dorm room fuckery uh, but no it was a, it, ultimately it was a pleasurable experience um overall um and i got to have some like you know late night powwow sessions with some beautiful humans um of you know from of all walks of life from all over the world um and, and i learned a lot about myself in that in that experience I really, really did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, I was, I went into the program with the intention to work on myself, mm. um, and I set that before I went into school. Uh, I was like, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to go into grad school trying to slay the same dragons I was trying to slay in undergrad, um, because I was too mm. afraid to wake up and I was too afraid to be myself. Um, and so for all of that, like, you know, North Philly toughness, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a sensitive artist uh, and trying to find a balance between those two things of like, how do you find yourself and like define yourself and or redefine yourself, if you will, um, while also like learning how to set clear boundaries um, um, and also taking no shit, you know, at the same time. So it's like. It's, you know, it's a dance. Um, and really, like, you know, I just try to, try to stay really curious about other humans um, instead of being judgmental of said humans. Um, unless Ooh, that's a big unless they're Cowboys fan. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> look, humans, look, you know, like. I don't but, think they're human. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, one particular thing, like, I th- just the sheer raw empathy that's constantly going and then trying to balance out like the arts versus real life and mixing it all together. I mean, just going off of your past experiences that have since now bled into your work, both in the playwriting sphere, the acting sphere and the TV sphere is your experience at like working in, in prisons and then growing up in Philly. Like, it seems like a lot of the, like these stories are kind of coming from that place and, uh, and almost what would seem and really it's hard to get much more polar opposites prison yeah. <laughs> elite prestigious arts you know privilege academy. Academy. i call it jail yard. i call Pri- it jail yard privilege bro. privilege academy like, you know. like is, is it different yeah. i mean there because i mean ironically enough some of the systems are identical mm. uh, walk us through it uh oof well here's the truth um i mean like any system where uh white folks are in, in command of said system um, and take little to no input from marginalized bodies uh, that the system is responsible for keeping or caring for, uh, more often than not, uh, it comes at significant harm. And so, you know, Juilliard is this elite program um, that I work, you know, like I, I auditioned for the program uh, three times to get in. I pl- like I applied to Juilliard five times total. 
Whoa. And for um, a heads up, everyone, he posts those those rejection letters in the story every year. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's incredible. So yeah, it's just to remind, to remind myself. Uh, yeah, because like, you know, like we, everybody posts their successes, but few people post their failures. And I find uh, that reminding myself of my failures keeps me honest. Um, and, you know, success will lie to you, but your failure will keep it all the way 100. <laughs> um, success pretends to be your friend. Failure is really your best friend, though. Um, mm. Failure tells you the truth about yourself that you don't want to hear when it's most conven- inconvenient for you to hear it. Um, that's when you need to hear it, right? That's when you need to hear it. You know, like a lot of times we like we take on failure as like uh, a sign of our worth, as mm. opposed to interpreting that as not yet, not this direction, not this door. Um, and so like, uh, those are things that I had to keep in mind, like, you know, in my pursuit to try to like, you know, master this craft, uh, of mine of being an actor and a writer and a director. Um, but the school itself, like, you know, and it's trying to change, but the, the culture of the program, not just, not just the drama program, but like the school at large, uh, uh, there are a lot of things that harm black and brown students. A lot of things that you know, that harm black and brown students. I'm sure you got your own, you know, your own experiences too, Drew. Um, I mean, what I will say is like, I, I never felt, I always felt like an exception. Mm-hmm. I always felt like people were like, you're lucky you're black because that probably is what got you in here. Right. Oh, it, I, that's, but that's been my whole life just mm-hmm. as a black man surrounded by white people. Yeah. Um, saying like racism doesn't exist. Look, you're here. You're here right now, you know. It's it's just right. It's not the whole story, but people, yeah. the whole story I mean, is very uncomfortable. I I mean, I usually respond to that. I'm like, you know, there were you know free enslaved people during slavery, right? So that doesn't mean that like you know because those those folks were free or those folks had even a modicum of more access or mobility that there's not a larger, more insidious system still working on the majority of folks. But it's, but it, but it also too, like, I mean, this is just a larger thing about like, you know, what's happening in our country and like uh, people, uh, because we live behind screens most of the time and we, we seldom have to connect with other individuals. Um, we're actually losing uh, a, a skill of, how to actually be open and listen to, to another human um, and to be uh, a space of empathy um, as opposed to a place of judgment. Mm. And that's probably the, the biggest issue is that we're technically more connected than we ever were, but we're, we're not actually connecting. We're more connected. Mm. We're not connecting. There's almost none. Like the screen yeah. and like now pandemic hello like this is it it's it's the screen <laughs> it's the screens for forever so like just getting these expo- exposures and to have conversations at least one thing for Drew and I like why we've liked the podcast format is because of just the duration <laughs> and yeah. it's a, like forced hey let's sit down and just talk this out uh, yeah. it's, it's recorded it's a public release therapy um <laughs> but like <laughs> that's pretty but yeah like no, having conversations you, is good has has disappeared for the most part like genuine honest conversations go ahead Jay. no i was just saying like lee you should you should start a podcast yes 
If I had if if I had a dollar Good for time. every person who has told me that I should start a podcast, I could pay off uh, a third of my student loans. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Wait, millions of people have told you to start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, two hundred and fifty million people have all told. Okay. Well, I, I think w- the w- what is brilliant about your the career that you've built for yourself is that you have systems now. You're you're actually implementing systems as an artist that are going to help you play to your strengths. And so as you grow in your career, I know at some point you'll realize that you're like, you could really reach a lot of people with a podcast. You could really reach a lot of people through it. You can earn, you can build your personal brand. You can earn equity in building a company that way, because in this realm, you don't have people who are telling you what you can and cannot say. Uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a world where Twitter, people are being banned from Twitter, people being removed from Patreon, people can be deplatformed. And if you put all of your eggs in one of these networks, one of these baskets, they can just take it from you. Like if you have a bat, if you have a, your hand in the basket of Facebook, that's not only Facebook you have to worry about, but also Instagram because who owns Facebook? So it's 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 less diverse of a place than we often think. And one mm-hmm. thing that I'm learning and I'm trying to tell younger creators and people that I consult is to build your own platform, like have a website, build your own platform, get, get off of social media or have a place off of social media where people can still reach you because that's going to be the actual real estate and gold mine. So. So what you're saying is I should start an OnlyFans account. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, we've um, just for yes. our listeners, we've uh, reserved our um, only OnlyFans for the podcast. Our OnlyFans <laughs> for all our fake and fans. That's not a joke. I reserved it. Nothing's on it. But you never know. Uh, if, we're, we're, never know. Uh, if pictures you need of it. my feet. Yeah. Feet pics. <laughs> oh no. Pics, pics for, for all the, y'all. Pics for the pod. Pics for the pod. But um. <laughs> Speaking, I, should start, like, yeah. I should start like an OnlyFans account and just like show pictures of books. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, dude, that gets some people hard. All these, all these men and women out here being Books. sapiosexuals. Knowledge, they be into that. <laughs> Speaking of Facebook, Lee, you're you've emerged as like a, a true pillar of the community on Facebook. Like you, it's it's where Weird. I go and like check like the pulse of America. It's like whenever something, <laughs> whenever something happens, it's no, no, and that's not even that's 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 not a lie. That's the truth. It's like true. whenever whenever that's some shit true. goes down. I'm just like, what does Lee have to say about this? And what does I, Lee have to say? It's about probably this? like one of the. It, it usually has something to say. It usually sounds like white people get your shit together. Yeah, <laughs> but it's good. And he's and you know, I read that. And I'm like, you know, in white voice. Oh, 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 oh yes. Oh, yeah. It's, it's true. Like, like, like you've kind of like treated Facebook using the the systems of Facebook and a very like Twitter style of thoughts out there, getting uh, different opinions. Um, and it it really seems yeah like emerging as a figure in the community like some of your posts have have gone viral they've gone yeah, out there a lot um, of them have do you feel like how is your relationship to facebook is it is is there pressure like cuz now people are watching or is it, is it just a isn't an open well, even book? like i mean it's bigger than facebook it's like you know facebook ig like you know any of the social media is like i i and like, you know, in this ongoing conversation about boundaries with myself, uh, I have to be really careful about like, you know, how I use those platforms. Um, I actually seldom talk about myself on there. Um, 
or like, you know, and I'm not really like the big, like posting like selfies kind of person, like every once in a while when I'm like, oh, this like, you know, this is a nice shirt. I feel good in this. I'm going to take a picture of it. Um, but really it's like, where can't like, because I know that people listen to me um, and it's like, well, how can I use my voice in a way that helps? Sometimes I'm successful at that. Sometimes I'm not. Um, I also think too, like uh, one of the ways that I've helped to just to protect my own mental health is I make sure that I have more output than input. Um, mm. Because if, uh, if that becomes unbalanced, then you start to, you start to self implode and you start to compare yourself to other people. And, and then all of the, like, you know, the gremlins or whatever your insecurities are, they start to get amplified. And it's like, Oh, well, why such and such is doing this? Why am I not doing, or why don't I have or whatever? And I'm just like, yeah, like I just try not to do that. So I, uh, social media is a big part of like my artistic process um, because I'm just really good at synthesizing abstract information. Um, and I also use it as an opportunity to go and explore uh, other points of view outside of my own echo chamber. Um, so like, you know, like I follow like, you know, pages, you know, with like Republican content or like <laughs> super conservative media because I really, you know, want to, I sincerely want to understand uh, why people feel the way they feel, why people think the way they think, um, and what is, uh, what is the cultural context that's creating this larger historical moment. And so that like, uh, in being able to do that, um, while still like, you know, having like, you know, my own point of view about things, but like, just trying to remove judgment off the table. But how do you do that? Because I feel like that is something more people could really use is like removing judgment. It's not just in politics, but even in classical music, in everything we do, we just, we come from this lens of judgment. How do you shut it off for yourself? Uh, I replace, like, uh, I think this is like Walt Whitman, but it's like replace judgment with curiosity. Um, and so where I am being judgmental uh, first of all, like being judged, like when you judge somebody else, you're not really judging them. You're judging you onto them. Um, and it's, uh, well, I wouldn't do that or I wouldn't do, you know, X, Y, Z, one, two, you know, one, two, three, but it's really you. It's like, you know, like you're using you as the litmus test for humanity everywhere. And it just does not work that way because there are, you know, how many, 8 billion people on the planet? There are 8 billion different ways to be a person. Um, you know, and you, and you magnify like, you know, that 8 billion people, you know, times all the humans that have ever existed, you know, like there are so many different ways to live a life and to be a person and to have a culture and to experience it. And so like, I try to, I try to ask questions anytime I feel myself getting judgmental and my barometer for like, uh, for figuring out when I'm being judgmental is when I get really angry. Um, mm. When I, when, I, when I read something that pisses me off or makes me upset, uh, I pause and I ask, I was like, why? Why am I upset? What am I not seeing? What's the narrative behind, you know, behind whatever this story or this video is? Who wrote it? Who's shaping it? Who's curating it? Um, whose voices are absent? Um, you know, like who's, uh, like, you know, I really try to uh, examine things from just like, as many perspectives as my own singular human mind is capable of doing. And I think like my time working in corrections, um, 
kind of wired me that way because I'm, you know, like I was uh, tasked with incarcerating other human beings who came from all walks of life. And like, you're in a place where people like, the majority of the people there are there because of the worst day of whatever their life is. You know what I mean? Like, oh, and, yeah. and, it's, and it's the accumulation of people who are there for uh, whatever, you know, their, their quote unquote sins are some people uh, deserving and some people not, you know? And so, and I still have to see these folks every day. And I was, and I was young when I started working there. And so, How old are we? Uh, well, I started when I was a teenager working in a commissary, and then when, I, when I turned twenty-one, uh, I became an officer. This is you a, were a kid. This is a this is a, like a family uh, legacy, yeah, correct? Cause, yeah, because my dad, yeah, my dad, uh, my dad was an officer. He, he ended up like you know he retired as a captain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my brother was there for a while. I had a cousin who worked there, so it was like yeah, it was just a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my father's way of keeping me close uh, and keeping me out of trouble, even though I wasn't really like a troublemaking kid. But it's a um, father. That's that's what they do. That's what <laughs> they, like, he was trying to protect me. He was like, he's going to he's like me. And I'm like, but I'm not, though. I have your face. But like, yeah. but I'm I'm actually a very, very different human and I respond to the world differently. Um, but what like even I hated working there at the time. I'm so grateful that I did now because it taught me uh, to not judge a book by its cover and to be curious um, about people who are different from me. And um, even the worst person, you know, like uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. Ah. So we, we can drop names. I, Link in the yeah, description. No, you know. Drop oh, that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what, I agree. You know, I, you know, I'm not going to mince words. But, he, but even him, like, he didn't, he didn't turn into the person that he is by himself in a vacuum. And there are things that happen to that man um, that shaped him into who he is. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, your trauma does not void your impact on other humans. Um, you know, regardless of what your intention is, like, you know, or what you have survived, it does not give a person carte blanche to be an agent of harm. Mm. Um, it's just, it's, but for me, it just reminds me to like, how do you keep things in, you know, in context? Uh, how do you keep other humans uh, in context while also um, being not critical for the sake of criticism, but curious about like, well, what are the things that I'm missing? What are the things that I'm not seeing? What are the questions that I haven't asked? And is there another point of view uh, uh, that I can entertain um, that, you know, like that I might discover something in? So you know, like even like I can listen to somebody and completely disagree with everything they say uh, and not necessarily have to offer my point of view. Mm. Like, 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 like that's actually a possibility. You know, you can listen. To <laughs> I never like, heard say that. that say that before. again for the people <laughs> <laughs> for social for Twitter. It's the Twitters that you're listening. Like. <laughs> because like in uh, and this is maybe this is just, just just the actor in me because like I can be playing anybody right mm-hmm. um and and so it's like I can listen to someone's point of view and just listen to their experience um I don't need to be you know I don't need to impose that my beliefs are righter than theirs um I mean granted there's some things that are about human rights that are just non-negotiable mm-hmm. and even with that 
it is not my job to change you. Mm. It's not my responsibility to change you. It's my Preach. responsibility to change me. It's my responsibility to, uh, to make sure that like, okay, then if, if I take nothing away from this person, um, what, are the, what, are, what, what are the parts of their humanity that I don't want to internalize? You know, like, I don't, like, how do, like, what are the parts of my humanity, uh, excuse me, of their humanity that I find to be harmful? And then what can I do to be a counterbalance to that in the way that I move through the world, in the way that I interact with other people? Um, can, I, can I be a listening ear before I'm an, opening, uh, before I'm an open mouth? Um, and I think when, I, when you do have something to say, how does it improve the silence? If you can't improve the silence, then don't say shit. <laughs> because, you know, like, silence, is, silence is literally perfection. You know, like yeah. it can't be any more perfect than, you know, than it is. So mm. if, if what I have to offer does not improve or add to the silence and leave the space softer and more vulnerable and more open and more honest than when I found it, then anything else that remains is just my ego. Mm. So you're telling me I should just, in order to be a better, more perfect violist, I should just not play. Just shut up. Just shut shut up. There's, let there be silence. Don't <laughs> fuck with the perfection. Let there be silence. No, no what I'm saying is like that we that a lot of times we can't be afraid of the silence. And I think I think mm. we are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think especially like millennials, like our like our generation, um we have learned we like, you know, we grew up with the internet. We have learned uh how to adapt to moments really, really quickly because te- we, we adapt at the speed of technology. Well, almost at the speed of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn all of these buzzwords, you know, these multisyllabic words that like, haha, wait till I take the SATs. Um, <laughs> um, Plethora. Yeah. Which <laughs> Sidebar. I learned the, I learned the roots of the, of where the SATs came from. Yeah. Racist. IQ, oh, IQ talk, test. Talk about we it. we just it. talked about IQ test too. Super racist. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I want to come. I want to, I just like. Circle back. back. Yeah. I want to circle back. We'll come back. We'll come back. We'll come back. Um, but yeah, but it's like, how do you like make sure that I'm, that I'm, that I'm adding something to it, you know, like that I'm adding something to, you know, to what's being said sometimes. And, you know, and sometimes I'm petty, you know, sometimes, <laughs> like, you know, uh, I'm not perfect. You know, I don't pretend to be like, you know, I'm a boy from the hood. <laughs> Uh, so sometimes, like like prime example today, somebody left some a dumbass comment on my page, and like usually I'm like, why do you feel that way? And, yeah. and but today I was just like, your mama, like you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, but so, like, you're I'm contributing, large and I contain multitudes. But, so, yeah. like, <laughs> but that's the thing, like you're contr- you you know telling someone your mom is sometimes contributing to that. I mean, sometimes that. sometimes it ain't about approve, you know, improving <laughs> on the silence, you know, like and sometimes a lot of times I'm really good at that, but I'm not all the time. Um, I, I bet you had a, a bunch of your mama jokes growing up, bro. What's 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 your go to? <laughs> oh, you, bruh, you. He's pulling not... up spreadsheet. He's pulling up the spreadsheet. It's like, hold on, <laughs> let me like. Pull I up. memorized like fifty-five well, at one point. So, yes. sixth grade. <laughs> I had I I could go to battle with people like I volume was four, chapter seven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like book uh, of mom. No. Yeah. You have not you have not heard a your mama joke like like. I, I, w- I went to Philly public school. Yeah. 
people from Philly right now are listening to this and be like, oh, shit. Um, <laughs> specifically, I went to Simon Grant's high school. Okay. People from Philly right now are going, oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, there's, uh, you have not heard somebody crack on you or cap on you until you heard like a kid from Philly reduce you to ash with words. <laughs> like, I, uh, <laughs> like kids from like kids from Philly, like, like black Philly public school kids, they'll like, they'll say something to you. Like you'll be a substitute teacher and they'll be like, you go sit down. Like, you know, like you, they'll say something really mean to the kid and they'll be like, yeah. damn, this wasn't even your first choice of job, was it? <laughs> you had dreams, did, didn't you? Did nothing. You Nothing's you want to worse be a than a nine-year-old. Yeah, nothing's worse than a nine-year-old. You want to be a pilot? You want to be a doctor? Damn, you're a substitute teacher. Damn, how you sleep at night? You probably broke too, right? Like, I mean, like that. <laughs> you got a girlfriend? <laughs> like, there, like, there was this thing on, uh, <laughs> there, was, there was this, like, this gif on, uh, not a gif, it was, uh, it was a video. I don't know if it was on, like, TikTok or whatever, uh-huh. but it was, like, it was this girl, like, uh, like this young girl, she was like busting on this other girl, uh-huh. and she was like, uh, "That's why your mama hair fucked up." And the other girl was like, oh! "Yeah, oh! <laughs> that's why your mama dead. She dead as hell. <laughs> what kind of shoe she had on her neck? <laughs> like, oh, I'm deceased. Like, oh my god. But, it was, but it's like just straight for the jugular, and I was like. <sighs> I was like, wait, this is time out. Hold up. We're causing irreparable damage on her psyche right now. Come on. It was, I mean, I, I laughed because I was like, yeah, that was, that was ninth grade. <laughs> that was, that was eighth grade. It's memories. Oh, memories. Yeah. That's why oh. my skin is tough now. Like, mm-hmm. Because I grew, I grew up with like, you know, my friends saying things like to, you know, like that to me. <laughs> Shout out to Philadelphia Public Schools. You know, Shout out. you know what? Um, so, Wooden shoes or silk slippers? What you gonna What you gonna wear? What you, you gonna know, wear? Like, right? Yeah. Shout out to the schools that are left. Um, but actually, they haven't been converted right. into uh, Gucci bars and condos. But um, speaking speaking of Philly, it's it's a staple of your work. Like most of the plays mm-hmm. are are based in Philly. Um, like now, like the shows, you bring a lot of that with you. Uh, is uh, could you just maybe just talk a little bit about trying to really represent Philly in these different mediums in theater and TV? That's an interesting word, represent. Um, it's just a part of who I am, you know. Like I'm a I'm a Philly boy. I love 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 my city. Um. I also, ha- I also have a lot of issues with my city. Um, and in my work, I try, like, you know, in trying to stay curious, uh, I try to write about all the magic and the mess that lies therein. Um, and, and make sure that I am able to talk about, like, you know, my experience and the experiences of uh, people who I've come in contact with. Um, and talk about it from a multifaceted, you know, lens, if you will. I, I love Philly because it's one, it's the, it's the birthplace of our nation, good, bad, or indifferent, but it is. 
Um, and there's a lot of history there. And it's this really interesting mashup of the old and the new. Uh, you know, it's a city that's really, really, you know, it's a city that's, you know, as old as our country is. Um, but it's also a city that's like, you know, in a constant state of flux. And it is the, you know, and a lot of people don't know this, but Philadelphia is the poorest big city in the country. What? Yeah, it is the poorest big city in the country and it is extremely segregated. That like red, like red, redlining did Philly. Uh, Dirty. Yeah, I mean, redlining did everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Metropolitan yeah. area. But Philly is still very, very, very segregated. Um, and it's the thing because it's a liberal city nobody talks about. Um, but, you know, I'm glad it talks about the things that people don't like to talk about. So, you know, what's something people don't like to talk about sundown towns. I'm actually playing uh, with the Unison Orchestra for Lovecraft Country, that Jordan Peele, Misha Green show. Mm-hmm. And I believe uh, you worked on. Show, um, say what? Love that show, by the way. Thank you. I mean, I didn't do anything. Yeah. I just played music. <laughs> but it's great. And I love that Jordan Peele is on there because he does a really, I find that he does a really great job as a producer to really put in some hard truths in interesting storytelling formats. And what was so surprising to me, and I think we referenced it on a, a previous episode of the podcast with Trevor, but I was like, I, had, I grew up in Georgia and I'd never heard about a sundown, uh, sundown town before. And apparently sure, there's sure a book you, have. you just don't, you, you have, you just don't realize you have. It was one sentence and glossed over in a textbook. If even. Well, no, no, like Drew, like how many times have you heard people uh, from your family say, make sure you get home before the streetlights come on? Oh, yeah. Where do yeah. you think that comes from, bro? I just thought my mom was a maniacal person who needed to have things done her yeah, way. But so like, but, 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 it's, it's, but it's really like, it's rooted in trauma and tra- like it's trauma that has lost context over time. And so like, uh, like we have these things um, you know, so like so many things that like, you know, uh, just become like, uh, culturalisms. Um, and then we don't know why it's like, why, why does my mom like, you know, like, uh, like, you know, make, make sure you get home before the streetlights come on. Because at one point in time, uh, that was a great way to measure when the sun was going to go down. Um, and if you weren't home, you could be murdered. So like, you know, I mean, that's, can you talk about that? Like what sundown towns are? Because I'm sure many people have never heard of them before. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, ta- I mean, I could talk about it or I could, you know, redirect it uh, for people to watch the pilot of Love, Lovecraft Country um, and go support yeah. the brilliant black artists. Um, Hell yeah. So I, I could absolutely tell folks what that's about, or I could say, don't be lazy uh, and go look it up for yourself. There's actually a book on it. Uh, sociologist James W. W. Uh, Lowen he spent mm-hmm. many years researching the phenomena, phenomenon, and uh, the Sundown Towns is the name. Sundown Towns is the name of the book. Mm-hmm. It actually what blew me away was like Lowen, like through his investigations, counted more than 502 Sundown Towns in Illinois alone. And these yeah. are places where they didn't want black people in the town after dark. If they, mm-hmm. if they were, they would kill them. Yeah. Or during right. the day or, in, or in, a, in the spring afternoon or on Christmas Eve or whatever. It's just like, like, I mean, like this year, like the discovery to white people of Juneteenth, <laughs> like it was like a big, like everyone's just like, wow, there's this whole new holiday. Like, Oh, what happened? What? What? <laughs> and they watch Watchmen. Yeah. A really interesting moment about that. Like I remember I was in New York. I was at the public theater 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was sitting there. I was sitting like in a lounge that's like on the second floor or whatever. And yeah, of I'm, course. Uh, I was uh, writing something. I was working on a play. Um, and across from me, uh, there were like these three white girls sitting at the table. And like they were like comparing notes on like when they could hang out the next time. And they were like matching their calendars. And like on their calendars had uh, Juneteenth. And this was like, <coughs> excuse me, this was before uh, uh, like, you know, white people discovered it in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's like, oh my God, what's Juneteenth? Like, oh, it's, I don't know, it's probably just like, some like work thing and they're just like going back and forth <laughs> but, but but it goes on for them to have like they're having this five minute conversation about uh how dumb it is to have to observe juneteenth they don't like you know nobody knows what it is it's an obscure holiday it's like late and this one woman she's like oh i think it's like grandparents day or something God. and and i'm sitting there like maybe six or seven feet away while I'm writing a play of literally about oblivious white people. Um, <laughs> it's a case study. It's, it was, it was a case study. And so, uh, I, I, you know, I'm just like coasting, mind your business. I'm just going to keep writing. They keep, you know, they keep, this conversation just keeps going. And then I get up, um, and I Google, uh, Juneteenth and then I slam my phone on the table. And I was like, if you would like to know, that's what it's about. This is what you're mocking right now. And so she looks at it. She's like, oh, it's the, day, the last day of its slavery. Oh. <laughs> hey, you hear that? That's silence. That's perfection, mm-hmm. right? That's the perfection. Don't improve. The, you know, don't try to improve don't it. Improve it. Yeah. And so, and I was like, yeah, I was like, what you're doing right now is you're revealing publicly and mocking um, that you don't have to understand your racial awareness and your racial context in this country in order to survive it. Um, Whereas we do. Whereas we do. And, you know, like, like and you're doing that as white women um, who are also marginalized, but, you st- but you're still a beneficiary of this toxic system. Um, and so it was, like, it was like all these interesting power dynamics at play. And it wasn't the kind of conversation of like, you know, you know that meme with like uh, the kid is like, you know, uh, pass me the flesh tone marker and then like got the black, <laughs> yeah. like, Slams the black marker on the phone. Like really bad. Like, um, but it, it wasn't like one of those kinds of moments. But it was like, sis, like check yourself. You know, like mm-hmm. un- like the world exists outside of you, um, and you have a responsibility to your context. Um, and so, like you know, I, I I it was I think it was that day that I kind of like formed part of my uh, own vocabulary on like talking about race uh and uh or formed another part of like my vocabulary on talking about race and it wasn't like i just find it really like reductive to like uh categorize what like white people as like you know racist tm um mm-hmm. uh i mean which is true but like but also like being like is it being even more specific than that really breaking it down into like there are responsible white people and there are irresponsible white people. And if you are if you are responsible with your context, your historical, social, racial context, to uh, you know, to the world, to your community, to your fellow you know man or woman uh, or non-binary person, um, or you're irresponsible 
Um, and you just don't care to know about like, you know, the harm or impact that you have on other people. And so like, it's, and it's, and it's truly is like a responsibility. You did not inherit this. Like uh, you did not ask for this thing, but you inherited it. Um, so what are you going to do with it? You know, like, uh, and you can either, uh, you can either be a bomb or you can be a blister. It's your choice, you know? Um, and nobody's going to be there to check your homework or to check your math. You know, that's, I think that's a, an individual choice that each person needs to make for themselves. Like, you know, what is going to be my relationship to people who may not be as fortunate as I am? Somewhat of an emergence, but this realization that like, wait a minute, just because your day-to-day is hard and existing's hard, there's a lot of people out there who've had it a harder time, who have more barriers and just, you know, I like I like how you framed it. It really is a choice. It's 2020, everyone's got Google in their pocket. There is no excuse for ignorance. You are choosing ignorance. It's not the the lack of knowledge versus knowledge. It's it's the knowledge that you don't wanna research. If you can if you can Google cat videos, Hamilton tickets, <laughs> WebMD diagnosis, you can Google an article on like like any question that you could think of. Uh, about like, you know, uh, this moment or race or whatever, like any question that you could think of, you could type it into, you could type, you don't even, you don't even have to type it into Google. You can be like, hey Siri, what's good? Oh, my bad. Sorry. Hey Siri, no, I know. My, my hey Siri, Siri is my this Siri. racist? Like, <clears throat> hey Siri, <laughs> how do I dismantle racism? Okay. I found this on the web for how do I dismantle racism. Like seven articles just popped up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I like it's it's literally that simple. But what often happens is like uh, like there is laziness when it comes to like cultural competency um, and the marginalized. We have to know uh, we have to be cultural experts. Like I have to be an expert in white people in order to just you Survive. know. Hope- Hopefully, hopefully yeah. make it to a ripe age of 90. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, I have to be an expert, like, you know, in order to survive. Um, I have to be able to have these conversations or at least be aware of, like, you know, what, uh, what is going to jeopardize my body and my life and my health. Um, and, and white people don't. Like it's, it's, like, it's literally just that simple. And so, like, there's a... Again, like, you know, the, there's the burden of responsibility on me um, to understand, like, you know, what my intersections are, what my lanes are, so I know where I, where I can and cannot park. Um, and know where, like, you know, like, hey, if I run this light, I might get a fine. If I run this light, I might hit somebody and kill somebody. You know, like, that's just, like, the, like that's just a responsibility, you know? So, like, if... Uh, a person wanted to, like wanted to do that work they they absolutely could and so like if this is like you know like i look at racism like a, like a disease like it is like, truly a, a psychosis um and so like what would we do with any disease like you know you walk into and i think i heard like robin d'angelo give this analogy and i thought it was so good um you walk into a you know you walk into a doctor's office and you know the doctor sits you down and it's like oh trevor i'm so glad you came in um you know, like, uh, we just got your test results back and we found out that you have like, uh, credendo lipinopathy. Um, and you know, it's a very dangerous disease and, 
you know, it kills a lot of people. Oh, one second. Uh, uh, I left something in the car. And then they get out in the car and then they just leave. Uh, <laughs> they don't explain to you, you know, like what this disease that you have or this like this thing. So what are you going to do? Are you going to be like, oh, shit, I guess this uh, going to roll the dice and see what happens. <laughs> or are you going to go home and you're going to like spend the next, you know, like couple hours to become an expert on whatever this thing is. And you're going to do your own work. You're going to read every book on it. Um, you're going to watch every YouTube video or blog or TED talk or article or whatever. So that the next time you come in, you're going to be able to have an informed conversation uh, about treatment and about like what your next steps are. Um, but the difference is like, you know, these, this type of disease, it, it not only harms, but it kills. Uh, and the more ignorant you are, and I mean ignorance in the true definition of the word of like not knowing, the more unaware you are of your relationship to your larger social context, uh, people are dying. You know, like people, People are dying. And those people that are dying are not all are, are not all black folks either. Like this pandemic that we're in, all these people that are dying right now, uh, it did not have to happen. Um, and uh, these people are dying as a as a reflux, to, uh, a reflex to having a black family occupy the White House for eight years. Say it again, Lee. Say it again. So like all of like like I mean like it's and it's co- like it's it's all COVID, right? Like, you know, like there I've like I've lost people, you know, to COVID as well. But like all of this, like this is just a physical manifestation to the hatred and bias uh that people don't really understand in larger social context to a, a black president occupying the White House scandal-free for eight years with his Black wife and his Black daughters. And people, you know, like, when you look historically, anytime there has been significant Black progress, it's always been met with white rage and backlash. That happened after slavery. That happened during Reconstruction. It happened during Jim Crow. It happened during the Civil Rights Movement. It's happening now, uh, in this moment. And so I expected Trump to win. Um, I didn't want him to win, you know, like, even though, like, you know, I was completely not a fan of uh, Hillary Clinton. I still voted for her because I didn't want to unlock the seven seal of the apocalypse. I didn't want to unleash the orange horseman, but white America had other plans. Um, and so, like, there's uh, all these people that are dying right now. It's all, like all of these things are delicately interconnected. And like, if there was not the rage response to President Obama, and then like, you know, literally electing a demagogue to take his place, 140,000 people might still be alive. And it's true. And that's an an uncomfortable truth. And it's right there. And we can directly point to it. I think there was a recent, um, I think it was a recent like John Oliver or something just like entitled history. And one of like the key points is just how much is, is simply left out. And that I think it's, particularly in America, uh, like a unique American problem in that, you know, it's, oh, exceptionalism, dreams. Like that's, uh, well, that's what's on the calling card. But beneath yeah. all that, man, like read the fine print. It's a, like, you know. terms and conditions may apply. Yeah, it's, yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, it's like, you know what it is? <laughs> the American dream is like one of those like pharma commercials yeah. that come on. 
and you see people riding horses and shit, like you know, eggs like, the sitting the in bathtubs, volleyball, sitting in bathtubs, you know, sitting in bathtubs. You got like old people, like you know, sitting on their porch in a like a steel tub, <laughs> toasting wine, like watching a sunset with butterflies, and a four-hour you know, boner, wine. and like. You know, like, and and they're like, this is America. This is what it's like to participate in the American dream. Um, and then you hear that person, like, you know, with a really lovely voice, like, you know, America is great for you. America uh, uh, doesn't work the same way for everybody. America may cause uh, nausea, headaches, exhaustion, you know. Death, racism, death, death on, also death, taxes, you know, you know bankruptcy, like medical all of bankruptcy. It. <laughs> you know, and so, like, uh, you know, like, it's... But it's also like this larger thing that's happening too. Like, and again, like I like to study history and I like to study systems. Um, this rage response is to, uh, this rage response in the country right now is because like people feel in their DNA that there's a schism inside of the actual foundation of this country. This country was born uh, out of the idea of like, we want to escape religious persecution and we want to have our individual freedoms be protected, crafted a document that says all men are created equal, um, excluding women and also like, you know, quite literally enslaving other people. And so like, and the, and, and the country is, the spine of the country is uh, 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 locked, you know, with that document. And so like, we're trying to move forward without having to reconcile uh, how our vertebrae, our spiritual and cultural vertebrae are not in alignment with one another. Mm. And then we're trying to figure out why the fuck do we got to limp. <laughs> the biggest mm. problem too with like America, like I, you directly pointed to it, uh, is it's in the, the number one document. You know, like it's the founding, it's right there. Racism and slavery is at its core. And it was, uh, it's even less so, it's history isn't written by the victor. It's written by who wants to control history. Yeah, yeah. And we <laughs> saw that growing up in the South, these textbooks, what is it? States' rights. Like the biggest lie. And so people grow up, These they teach that, they pass down. America doesn't like the negative. It never wants to accept the truth. And so a good example recently, Germany. If you go to Germany, it is against the law, like, the Nazi flag, it is shame. They feel shame. They were like, that was bad. That Yo, that was, that was awful. Yeah, that was pretty bad. They, the monuments- two, two world wars in a row, bro. Yeah, Come it's on. just like, bro, 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 we fucked up. And like, wow, like, like, bro, it's bad. And so what are their monuments to? The victims. Uh, they but, you know, but you know what yeah. though, bro? Like, They've I mean, accepted that, it. That's, that's the, that's uh, like, what you're tapping into right now is actually like the core of like what is happening right now. Uh, what, what the core of like what we're struggling with as a nation and as a people. And we are in a nation uh, with a lot of hubris and mm. we don't know how to deal with shame. We don't know how to sort through it. We like, we're in a country where we have this idea of the American dream where it's like, if you work hard enough, you can achieve anything that you want. And it really, I mean, it takes a lot of ego to think something like that. And I, and I do, I do think that like, yes, there is like, you can, I mean, like I am a quite literally a living testament of what resilience and hard work can offer. And I also know that some of that is, was a roll of the dice. Mm. Some of that, you know, some of that was me, like, you know, was, was me just quite literally getting lucky. 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some of that is like, you know, like where, like, you know, I'm lucky that my parents didn't get caught, you know, when, uh, you know, they, they made arrangements for me to try to get to a better school. You know, unlike Lori Laughlin, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but actually, but I, no, I like, know. I'm just, I'm just, you know, like, yeah. I'm, I'm keeping it all the way a buck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, and that, like, you know, five years of my life um, quite literally changed the way I think, which offered me different opportunities, which led me to, like, you know, to being able to, like, to go to, like, you know, the number one institution in the world for artistic conservatory training. Um, and now to like, you know, now to work in Hollywood in the American theater and make, and make a life as an artist. Like, like there, like there are these things that are like all interconnected to one another. And because we have not been, we don't have the tools to be able to sort through shame and to sit through the discomfort of that. Like we, we don't learn that in our own families. And so like, if we don't learn that in our families, how can we then offer that type of empathy uh, and emotional context to people who look different than us. And so, like, you got, like, you know, white men walking around, like, you know, with AK-47s um, blowing up, you know, kindergarten classrooms. And we're trying to figure out, like, you know, why is this thing happening? It's like all these systems um, are interlocking into one another. And we're really like, you know, setting ourselves up for a rude awakening. I mean, we're already being like, you know, in the middle of a rude awakening, but it's like this, like, if you are told, if you are socialized into thinking like, you know, that, that you have access to the American dream, as long as you're willing to work for it, but you're completely unaware that like, you know, the wealthy has its boot on your neck and it's implemented systems that are keeping you from accessing that. Um, and then utilizing America's kryptonite, which is race, um, as long as I keep you like, you know, focused on hating somebody darker than you, then you're never really going to look at me as I have my hand on your wallet. And I'm going and but because I look like you, I'm going to tell you that, like, I have your best interest at heart and I'm able to manipulate uh, your bias against you so that you can't, you know, so that like y'all can't unify and, t- and overthrow me and take me down. And so... It's divide and conquer. The it's, 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 it's class. It is. It, it is it's class. It's, class it's, it's race. It's gender. It's like, mm-hmm. it's all of these things interlocking into one another that's like, you know, creating this tapestry that is quite literally woven into our founding document. It's um, it's a feature. Like, they, it's, it's it a wasn't <laughs> a bud. It was like, that's the problem. It was... It is prominent it's, there. It wasn't a, an accident or a byproduct. It was built into the system. And hearing you describe it, it's kind of like America is, is a butterfly masquerading as a moth. It, mm-hmm. it wants to take its pride and like, oh, like we work hard, we do all these things. Oh, oh, I, actually, I, w- I would invert you that. Flip it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like, it's like America's uh, uh, a slug pretending to be a butterfly, you know? <laughs> you know, and like, you know, like we... Uh, you know, we watch these movies, like, you know, we watch, you know, the X-Men franchises, we watch the Avengers, we watch Star Wars, and we always, you know, like, oh, we're the little guy, and we're taking on, like, you know, the Empire. It's like, no, we're the Empire. Yeah, we're the... <laughs> like, like, Lord Vader is, the, no, not even Vader, like, uh, 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 Darth Sidious is the president. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, yeah. like, it's, I mean, they're... But then like, but then like, if you're trying to like, if you're doing everything within your power to try to access 
you're part of the American dream. And then you can't, it's, a, it's a nearly impossible for you to access it. Then you think it's your own shortcoming, you know? And, and, and you know, and, and you misunderstand that and think it's like, oh, it's my own short, like. It's my fault. That is, that is my fault. And then there's somebody, you know, who has their hand in your pocket. And it's like, no, no, it's not your fault. It's that brown person's fault all it's the way that black there. person. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, uh, and you're right. Yeah, it is their fault. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to then give you like, you know, uh, the NRA. Um, and it's like, well, here's your symbol of power. Go take back your power. Like, what do we like, like, like these elements, when you put these ingredients in a pot, what do you expect? You know, if you put the ingredients for bread in the oven, you're going to get bread. Like there should never be a surprise. It's just like, oh, I thought a salad would pop out. Like, that's not how, that's not how this works. That's, that's not how any of this works. Take that a step further, bro. It's like, if you take all the ingredients for bread, mix said ingredients in the order that you're supposed to mix it and make bread put said, you know, ingredients of bread in the oven and then open the oven. It's like, oh, shit. Like, Wait, I'm gluten intolerant. What yeah, the I'm, fuck? <laughs> so, but, that, but, that, but that's where we are. And so, like, and until, like, uh, and this is like my, like my play, First Deep Breath, um, it, there's a reason that, like, you know, I say that, like, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's a family drama. I'm like, it is a family drama and it's a political play. Uh, mm. because it's a play that examines, like, you know, our relationship to one another uh, as a family unit. And the foundation of our politics uh, comes from our family and our community. And if we are not able to find radical empathy and compassion with the people who live in our household, with the people who uh, we love most times or, or hurt us the most, um, then how are we going to find that radical empathy and compassion for people who come from completely different walks of life than we do? And the answer is that we're not going to be able to. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, and then like, you know, social media or whichever news source that one watches um, is going to further that divide. And it's going to, you know, and then people are going to keep getting richer from that, that uh, psychological, emotional, cultural, and, national schism uh and so like these things uh like none of this is by you know by accident like mm-hmm. you know if you re- if you really want to read a book that'll give you nightmares read dark money by jane meyer oh dark i've heard money. of it i've not read it yeah it is the stuff of nightmares um it is like oh so like if you have enough wealth you can quite literally do anything um mm. yeah yeah. Well, I thought that was true anyway. So yeah. maybe, maybe, we, like, maybe I need. You know, to... I'm almost afraid to say that on this thing. But like, you know, if if I end up dead tomorrow, just know I didn't slip in the bathtub. That's yeah, oh, okay. Okay, okay. We'll yeah, be on the lookout. Yeah, yeah. Bathtub, <laughs> not sure you write your will. Um, so one thing you spoke to, uh, specifically, I mean, like it's like after like medical and student loan debt, like probably the biggest problem is we have this empathy uh, debt. We just and like no one, no one's paying mm-hmm. that off. And, you, and you have to you have to pay it off and it gains that sucker gains interest too if you do not feed and i would even say it's a shame debt you know there we go the, yeah it's, like, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a shame debt and we don't like we're just going to like 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 america treats shame like millennials treat student loans we're just going to pretend like it's yeah. not debt. <laughs> <laughs> that is the truest thing i've heard in a very long time yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! It's true. It's like it's like we have this larger historical cultural, co- you know, uh, uh, context, 
and we're just going to be like, nope, I got a no, debit card. <laughs> like, <laughs> nope. Uh, nope. I got that first and last deposit on this on this apartment, and it's and it's in my mama's name. Like, yeah, it's it's, it's a write off, right? This is a write off, right? It's a write off, right? No, but like, it's write off this shit. You know, like you know, America is a millennial <laughs> treating its racial history like a student loan. I should probably write that into something. Like, you should write that. That's a bar and a half, bro. That's a bar and a half. I wanted to speak specifically about first deep breath, and then we can we can talk specifics of the actual because it's the piece because it's incredible. I was sure, yeah. very fortunate to sit in on like a table read and witness it before it's on stage. And sure, I, part of the process. I, yeah, part of the process. And I remember sitting there just in the chair. Everyone's around the table and just watching the the actors just really get involved. And you know, plot like the plot twist here. You think it's going one way. It's a really engaging drama a real piece of, of piece of piece of work but in the positive way um but one quote you said specifically in the interview was you refer to it as it's the crushing weight of grief and the joy that comes from healing yeah man. i mean that really yeah it, it hits for you now it hits for you three years ago four years ago five it's just almost like it's a recurring motive uh for both you and america so do you will you take take that platform and uh roll with it <laughs> That play, it, that play cost me a lot to write. Mm. Um, mm. Emotionally, like, you know, like I risked mm. my own destruction in creating that piece. And it, I really came to a point of where I started to see that I was locked into a larger generational cycle. Um, and if there's any, if there's anybody who's like, you know, listening to this uh, and here, you know, they, they, you keep hearing me talk over and over about cycles and, and context, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, because uh, I think that like, you know, when we understand our context as individuals um, that we're able to really heal and move forward. And then like the more healing that I offer myself, that then bleeds over onto other people, you know, like my family is different as a result of me writing that play. Um, oh. My relationships are different. Um, I thought that play was going to like alienate me from my parents because mm -hmm. of some of the subject matter. Um, I thought it was, you know, I thought everybody was going to hate me. Um, and I was also like writing about things that I hadn't talked out, talked about out loud. Whenever you're making anything, like one of the best pieces of advice I got from one of the worst humans I ever met, um, was you have to make sure that there's blood mixed into your ink. And what that means is like, if whatever the thing is that you're creating, if it doesn't cost you something, you know, like if you have not transformed and are a different person as a result of creating the thing, you can't expect an audience to go through that which you're not willing to experience first. Mm. You know, so like an audience has to be willing, I mean, excuse me, like you as the artist have to be willing that like, you know, to take the plunge and like, you know, get really specific in what you're asking an audience to go through. And so like, I remember like when I started writing that play, I ran into, I came into writer's block. Like I started it before I got to Juilliard. Um, and then I got stuck and I, I was just like, I was trying to, I knew what I wanted to do, but it just like, I could not connect the dots on it and finish the play. And I like, I was like writer's block for like five, six years. 
Um, and I'm like, why is this, you know, like, why can't I finish this thing? I know how it ends. I know where I want to go with it. And the play was like, because you're not ready to tell the truth. Mm. You're not ready. You're not ready to be honest. You know, you're like, you want to make something cool and you don't want it to cost you anything. You Damn. Cool and you don't, and, and you want to play it safe and you have to make a choice. Um, do you want, like, do you want to make something that's going to change, uh, change the world? Because the way you change the world is by changing yourself. And so, like, I was trying to, I was trying, I was working against myself and didn't realize it because I thought I was like, I'm just going to make some cool shit that's going to go and blow <laughs> yeah. everybody out the water. I'm going to win awards. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to win awards. Yeah. I'm going to do all of these I'm things. I'm a god. I'm a genius. And, you know, and like, but it was like, but you don't want to change you first, bruh. Like, you don't want to get honest about your shortcomings. And that's like, just talking to myself, like, like Lee, I don't, like, you don't want to get honest about where you hurt. You don't want to get honest about the people that you've hurt and your responsibility to take ownership over uh, the people that, that I have caused harm to, who I still owe, like, who I still owed apologies to, who I still uh, needed to make room to, uh, for forgiveness uh, for other people the parts of myself that I needed to forgive me for um, and to let myself that it was okay that that happened to me, whatever those things are. Like, I, I, I learned surrender in the making of that piece of art um, as opposed to like trying to control everything. Um, I felt like my art making process before that was like trying to hold on to a, a wet bar of soap. And like, you know, like you're the harder you try to squeeze on holding a wet bar of soap, the more elusive it becomes. But when you just surrender and you just open your palms and just sit it there, it'll stay there as long as it needs to. So um, so for millennials, uh, they used to sell soap in bars. Um, uh, now, yeah, it's just they, the, now it's just the axe bar. It's just squirt it yeah, out. Yes, yes. For, the, for, <laughs> for, uh, for my millennial brethren and sistren, um, you know, like, yeah, we well, you know there, there are these, these ancient things called bars of soap. <laughs> Like, I still use a bar of soap, actually, man. I, I've gone I, back. I haven't used a bar of soap since the president was black. Yeah. <laughs> I so I you know do you know on like YouTube how they have uh, oh. advertisements? I've ever read Target Doctor Squatch. Doctor Squatch. That's all I see. Doctor Squatch. Doctor Squatch? Doctor Squatch is a it's a company. This is not sponsored. Not sponsored. So don't not a patronize them. Let them let them become a sponsor first before you go and buy them. But I recommend them because like. <laughs> But BRB got a show. It's all like natural ingredients without like the detergents and stuff. Oh, and right. you can't actually, make it my mad. My skin better has been this. better. <laughs> my skin's <laughs> better, dude. It's I recommend it, bro. Like for you, like you got good skin, but you know you can, <laughs> you can always improve. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Lee, one of the things like there's so many different like quotes and things like fire in my mind for how you know this blood in the ink. I mean, there's just looking mm. across different contexts, I've, I've always heard these quotes and thought about them in other ways, but never actually in association with the art. So one of the things we've talked about uh, a multitude of times um, on this, this podcast is one of the characteristics of great leaders just throughout history, great generals, mm. great, well, great in a uh, air quotes term. Not, um, not like, not like make leaders great again. Yeah. Of, not, a, yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh God. Um, Laga. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, the, with this, like one of the things that the phrase that stuck in my mind from the book I loosely read or 
you know, had a slow association to was uh, stay close to the suffering. The great generals yeah. who went to the soldiers and like like witnessed them were a part of the charges or, you know, th these these mayors or whoever. They're just like, basically, if you, the closer you stay to it, it is that empathy. It removes some of that debt. You know that your consequences okay, so have right. actions. And so I've never actually thought about it till you said it. Like that's that's what our relationship to our art is and ourselves. We should staying close to the suffering. And I never thought about I'd never thought about it. Uh yeah, that's a that great way. way to put that, bro. That's a really good way to put that. Cause like it reminds you of your it reminds you of your why. Mm. You know? Like it reminds mm. you like like why like why am I am I doing this? Am I am I out for self or am I out to serve? You know, like, mm -hmm. and for me, artistically, I'm here to serve. Um, I'm here to serve, you know, people who agree with me and I'm here to serve people who don't agree with me. Um, I'm here to be of service so that I can do what I can within my sphere of influence to help. And sometimes I'm successful at that and sometimes I fuck it up. Um, <laughs> that's life. That's, you know, that's life, you know? That's life. But um, Yes, every everyone we've just been fortunate to come on here, and you've really just kind of like summarized the previous sixty odd episodes. Uh, is like recently I've got this like business coach. I've been interacting with more people from the podcast, and they come from all different backgrounds, different walks of life, different stages of life, and different roles. Frankly, whether it's mm -hmm. web design, producer, whatever, and the thing that really we've noticed about them and in their success is this mission is this why knowing the why and that why is service i always wondered why my business coach or whatever is just like well why haven't you you know why haven't you made this website you know you need to make a website like what what the hell are you doing and instead of sitting there talking about the details of the grammar of the bio it immediately switches into therapy it's like is it fear is it this and it really boiled down to is in the in my moments of like non-creativeness or like low productivity or whatever it's because I forget the why and the why is service because it can feel for, for those of us who are like either empathetic or interested in people curious. Um, it can feel selfish to like work on yourself like, or, or like to write it. We can, it, it seems like that from the outset. It's like, Oh, I don't want to like promote this thing or I don't want to right. go yeah. in and do this thing because it seems selfish, but actually no, like you spending time on yourself, you doing these other things, can aid in your service to others. Yeah, I, I like I know I've dedicated my work to like uplifting and edifying the magic and mess and complexity of black people. And I have to remind myself daily that I am also black people. <laughs> so like uh yeah. so, so then that like you know that uplifting like you know sorting through the magic and mess and complexities that means I also I gotta start with me first because I can't ask anybody else to do which which I'm not willing to do first. And so like, and this is like me, like, you know, I'm an athlete um, or a former athlete at this point. Uh, but like, hey, you can always come yeah. out of retirement, yeah. bro. I could, <laughs> you know, like, my, but like my, 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 uh, my sport of choice was being a fighter. Um, and, oh. uh, and yeah. I, oh, you, you were throwing hands. But now, but now you're now you're 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 a lover and a fighter. So I'm a I'm a lover <laughs> and a fighter. Like uh, I'm uh, I, I come from the Toby in Wigwe uh, school of thought of like <laughs> try Jesus but don't try me because I throw these hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, bro. Like I think that like you know like we just have uh, 
for me, like I try to keep my fingers on the pulse of the people that I'm here to serve so that I don't forget. I think like, I mean, like, I think there's a reason, no, I don't say reason, but like, uh, I think it's really cool that the universe, um, that I'm not, that I didn't find like success in this industry until like this chapter in my life. Uh, and why I was, you know, poor as fuck for like, you know, the last 15 years. And like, I'm now starting to like come into some money and like success. It kept me in that place so that it left such an indelible mark in me that I would never forget what it feels like. That I would never forget what it feels like to struggle. That I would never forget what it feels like to be like, all right, do I go to school today or do I eat? Um, that I never forget what it feels like to make uh, impossible choices for like, you know, just to be able to make ends meet. And I, I tell stories about those folks because it reminds me of my why because I was those folks. I owe a debt to the 12-year-old version of me to make sure mm-hmm. that like, if I could go back in time and be the hero I needed for myself, like who would I need to be? And what parts of myself do I need to work on so that I could be that version of that hero for me? And since I can't get that to me retroactively, well, you can by going to therapy, but that's a whole other yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. But like, but, uh, but while I can't give that to myself and, you know, I can't quite literally travel back in time physically, uh, I can offer that to somebody else, you know, whether it's somebody who looks like me or somebody who doesn't look like me or somebody who comes from my experience or doesn't come from my experience, I can do what I can to help. Yeah, man. Like I, like, I remember like when, uh, I was, when I left working at the prison and, uh, I, was in undergrad and I was like going to class. I had to be at class at like 9 a.m. Um, and my, my second year uh, acting teacher, he had a very strict policy on lateness. So like if you got there at 9 a.m., you were late. You could come in up until like 8.59. But if you got there at 9 a.m., you were late and you had to go home. Um, and uh, I like, you know, like I had to wake up at the ass crack of dawn, you know, in the middle of winter in Philly because my, uh, my gas had been turned off because I couldn't afford to pay my gas bill because I decided to pay for my tuition. And so uh, my electricity got turned off because I decided to pay my tuition over my electricity bill. And I took uh, a bunch of candles that I bought from the dollar store, would go out, leave my building to go outside, to go into the basement and hold like these candles above my head in this pot to melt some of the, the water in the pipes that it frozen so that I could wash my ass in cold water before going to, to my acting class. Jesus. And so yes, holy only shit. to get there here, you know, white kids come, you know, complaining about like, Oh, like they're out of pumpkin spice lattes. She bought the generic brand. She bought the Kill generic her. Brand. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Like, and, you know, like there's, um, they're just like, you know, there, there are people out there who make deep sacrifices for the things that they, you know, that they want in life. And like, I knew, like I had already lived my alternative life when I was a prison guard doing a job that I didn't want to do. And I knew mm. if I stayed there. Um, I knew what, I knew what it would cost me to go back. 
And I made, mm-hmm. when, I, when I left working in corrections, when I got hurt, uh, I made myself a silent promise that feast or famine, and there was way more famine than feast, that I would never work another non-artistic job ever again. If it did not feed my work, if it did not feed my art and my mission, um, that I wouldn't do it. And I don't care if I had to be, you know, homeless, you know, on the streets. Um, and in some, you know, in some ways, like, you know, I was kind of struggling with that. Uh, and nobody knew, you know, nobody knew that uh, those were the things that I was dealing with. Not even my parents. Oh, well, yeah, I just realized like, oh, wait. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, hey, my mom and dad. Uh, yeah, um, but yeah, like my my yeah, my folks didn't even know that that's how bad and how hard my struggle was. Um, and they weren't, you know, they weren't really in a position to be able to help me in a way that I needed anyway. Even though they, even though like they would have moved hell and high water to try, but I don't regret that moment of my life because it's given me a spine that you know that feels like onyx i'm able to like you know to really go after the things that mean you know something for me because i've been to rock bottom several times i have a timeshare there so like (laughs) (laughs) i have you know like it's uh it's it's a some people make you know rock bottom like you know uh, a stopping point um as opposed to like a place to visit you know to get context you know, Have you ever read Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins? No, I haven't, but it sounds like something I'd be into. Brother, hold on. He's going to pull it out. Dude, dude. Receipts. I've, I've been reading nothing but books, but this book right here. Wait, is, is that the dude, homie? Is he's like the Navy SEAL or something? Yeah, like and like, yes. A, he's, just, he's just insane. He's chief of grit. Yeah, I, I'm afraid if, uh, if, if I read him, I'm going to like feel convicted about like just not waking up at like three in the morning and running 25 miles before breakfast. No, what it, you know, it's beautiful about it though. is like, I, I, I thought that too. And as, as I'm reading this, like right now he's doing an ultra triathlon. It's like yeah, me too, seven, 6.2 miles of swimming and then 112 miles of biking and then a double marathon afterward, and that's the race, and it goes so all around. So he's swimming from LA to Greece. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he and he's biking a little of the way, part of the way too, borrowing a bike on but, water. Yeah. On, on water, yeah. He's like he uh, he's like Admiral Aokiji from One Piece, <laughs> just straight up freezing. So w- what I love about this book, though, is that he talks about his childhood, bro. Like it is one of the crazy childhoods I've ever read about in my entire life. And he has taken all that trauma and hurt. Like he couldn't read in second grade and and was going to fail out of second grade. And he had a wonderful nun who helped him um, learn how to read all the way up to a third grade level uh, before he went to third grade. So he, he got multiple years of education. He was dyslexic. He had so many trials and tribulations and every time he got beaten down, his reality told him that he wasn't worth it, that he wasn't worth anything. But he developed this, this system of reaching into his cookie jar, his past accomplishments, his past victories and using them for fuel to prove that he is capable of something bigger. And Mm -hmm. so it's just funny to see how his accomplishments grow and grow and grow as well as the pain and suffering that is required to reach each of those new, those new plateaus. And I think that as we encounter our lives as artists, we're every time we feel like this deep sense of 
maybe self-hate or loathing. It's just our inner voice struggling. And we have to ignore that in order to exceed what we thought. Well, we were I, w- I would, I would push back against that actually and say, it's like, we don't have to ignore it, but we have to, we have to make peace with it. And we have to like, because it's real, what, it, what that voice really is, is our, is, is the inner kid, the inner child in us, the mm. inner most unprotected vulnerable version of the kid that we were when we were little. Mm. And our inner voice becomes uh, uh, the people who spoke life or death into us uh, when we were at the most vulnerable parts of ourselves. Mm. And so like, this is why, like, you know, like I, like, I'm not somebody who likes to speak to anybody in violence. Um, I don't like, I'm not a, I'm not a yeller, you know, like, you know, type dude. Like, I don't believe in like uh, screaming at people um, or talking down to people unless I'm telling like somebody, your mama online. Um, <laughs> clean the bathroom. Clean the <laughs> but they bathroom. deserve that. Or clean or cleaning the bathroom. That's a different thing. I'm like, you know, uh, bathroom, <laughs> not your face. Um, I'm large and I contain multitudes, but like, uh, <laughs> But yeah, like, you know, like that version of ourselves, what, what, like what that, those our insecurities are really asking for is for us to be like, Hey, I see you there. I know that all of these defenses are the things that kept you safe before, but I promise you it's different now. We're in a different mm-hmm. place and I got you. I'm not mm-hmm. going to let, I'm not going to let that person, those people, those circumstances hurt you again in the way that we were hurt before. Mm-hmm. We're tougher now, we're more resilient now, and we have tools that we didn't have before. And I'm asking you to, to step out of the driver's seat and trust me right now. I know that you're here to protect me. I know that you're here to like try to keep me, you know, to keep me safe. But I, but I think we got a different way of, of working that might be more useful to us than the way that we are used to operating. Can you, can you run that back? I need to play this before every first date. <laughs> when i meet a new girl you I is kind like, you is beautiful you <laughs> is renewed for season three on netflix so. <laughs> but beautiful bro thank you specifically yeah. to that and it comes also uh drew you mentioned one key element when you're telling your story with like the candles and just like that's going to be stuck in your mind if you look at i want to change the word greats but the people who have made impact on the world there's this another one of these large scale studies that specifically it was trying to like find, you know, commonalities. So great. It's not about money. It's just like who has accomplished and contributed to the world and made meaningful impact. All of them, no matter what, had struggle and had overcome and had, had struggled multiple times. It's the loss of the family. It's war. It's death. Or, well, I'm destined for greatness. Then. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to. Yeah. You're Tony Stark. But one of the things they. <laughs> They mentioned too specifically, which was interesting, and I didn't know this about David Goggins, was people who were dyslexic or who had a stutter. That was one. It was like fifty percent. It was an insane number of people wow. who. And and if you think about it, why? Because that's a tough thing to do with as a kid. That's it's embarrassing. Yes, it you don't want to. You don't want to read. You don't want to speak. You you have to actively think about every interaction, everything. You're on guard. And so you're learning with the struggle that not everyone else is dealing with. Lee, you mentioned talking to your 12-year-old self. 
And I'd, I'd really be curious because since that's like an, the idea, also the idea of like embracing our shadow and Drew's mentioned his conversations with his past self uh, and his future self. And with this, the 12 year old Lee, it's a, it's a two way conversation. Um, it is, yeah. And if you're telling, you know, we, we know you've kind of mentioned kind of what you would tell, tell your 12 year old self, what would your 12 year old self tell you right now? Ooh. Your mama mm. jokes? <laughs> <laughs> my 12 year old stuff would be like, yeah. like <laughs> what you, what you, what what you, you mean, mean? what Bro, you mean the dude the from home alone is the president like <laughs> uh, <laughs> the dude from the apprentice like, are you kidding me <laughs> you writing um, for Mr. Robot yeah yeah right yeah. I know right um what what 12 year old um being 12, like my teenage years were a really dark time. You know, there are people who are like, uh, oh, if I could go back to being a kid, I would do so many different things. You could not pay me to be a kid again. It was, <laughs> it was so hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 was, it was really difficult. I don't know what my 12-year-old self would say to me right now because my 12-year-old self was shamed into silence. Mm. So like, I didn't... Um, I didn't really know how to speak up at 12. Um, everything that I thought or had to say, I used to draw. I would draw. And I was really good at it. I thought actually I was going to make a, you know, I thought I was going to be a visual artist. That's, that's what I thought mm. my thing was going to be. And then ironically, um, when I started writing, I stopped drawing. I mean, granted, there was like a, a really traumatic event that was like precipitated that uh, of why I stopped why I stopped drawing, but it was, it, they really kind of like coincided with one another. And so like when I lost, you know, drawing with pencils or markers or whatever, I found words. And then who knew that like that moment would accumulate over the course of a life into like me being a writer and people, millions of people, you know, hearing things that I, that I write down. Yeah. What would I say? I don't know. That's okay. I even think, I even think like that, that silence does speak volumes of words. It's, it's almost perfect. like you, probably your 12 year old self probably couldn't imagine how much you've both gone through and where you are at right now. And so we've, we've gone through this journey ourselves through this podcast. Let's talk a bit. We've, we've talked about the struggle. Let's talk a little bit about the success. So here we are. I, I remember reading, I think you had a Facebook post a while back and it, it listed out kind of like one thing about each year, 2010, 2011, 2012, and brought us up to now. And just even in there, it really just boiled down to just like struggle, even up to 2017, 2018, with like just, you know, reaching a lows of lows. And like now, got an assistant, <laughs> you've got, you're riding <laughs> on multiple shows. I was just like, how's Lee doing? And then when, when, you get, when you get in contact with an assistant, you're like, oh shit, he's doing well. Uh, <laughs> like, he's, he's an assistant here. Like that's what it's just like. Oh man! You shout, got out, shout out to my boy Tommy DeMassimo. Shout out. So now out uh, I'm very curious to hear. Let's talk a bit, a little bit about the positives, which I'm sure your 12 year old self would be blown away. TV shows. TV shows. What is it like going from a playwright? Which is, of course we have tons of feedback. We have you have readers, table reads, and that. But really a unique experience of getting into a writer's room. What has that been like? Do you feel like balancing like that relinquish of control or you, but you know, this has the potential to reach way more people. Like what are the thoughts and then experiences that kind of go through in this process of being this 
solo artist to then contributing to a whole writer's room? Well, it's, it wasn't that hard for me because it was, it's no different than being an actor. Um, being an actor is the same thing. It's like, I'm here to serve somebody else's vision and I'm here to be collaborative. Um, I'm here to offer choices so that I can turn whoever's leading this room into an editor and not uh, someone who has to generate something. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just here to offer options. And then like, I'm just going to keep offering shit until you tell me no. <laughs> uh, um, and if I think it's really important, you know, I'll, I'll contest a no and be like, hey, I really think we should take a, a second look at this. Um, but it's been like, and I don't, like, I don't even know how I got into this side of the game um, because like I've spent the bulk of my, uh, my career, my career as an actor. Um, but I remember like years and years ago when I was like, oh, I want to write, I want to write for TV. I want to write for film. And I like just kind of put that in, you know, like you just put things out into the universe mm-hmm. and just like, you know, these are things you I would step love to back. do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the previous time I had applied to Juilliard and was rejected was like, I applied to the playwriting program. Um, and that was the time before that was like the year before I got in um, uh, as got in as an actor. So like I got rejected from the playwriting program. I like, I like I'd applied twice um, and I'd applied to the acting program twice before uh, and been, you know, rejected, got called, you know, called back, uh, uh, but didn't, you know, but didn't get in. Isn't or, there like a three, isn't there like a three limit there's, or something? There's technically a two, there's technically a two time. Okay. Well, but, for, but you did actors. like, I can't imagine like the stress, but also. Cause like, I hustled the system, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, I, um, no, I, I got lucky, you know, I got, it really is luck and hard work, but like, but a lot of luck too. You made your luck. Huh? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I truly, truly did make my own luck. But what, I mean, what happened was like, and I don't want to forget, like, I feel like I felt myself like being tangential again. So forgive You've me. come no, to the right place. That's on brand. This is all we yeah, did. That's on brand for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, I, like, you know, I applied and then got into the, uh, didn't get into the playwriting program. And mm. so then I'm uh, a friend of mine, one of my best friends, she pretty much threatened me with violence to apply to the acting program. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to apply to the acting program because, like, you know, I've applied at this point uh, three times to the program. I'm clearly not Juilliard material. And she was like, you know, had basically like, you know, filled out some of my application and was like, you know, like, you're going to do this. And, uh, you know, she offered to pay my application fee. Uh, oh. Just just being like a good friend. Yeah. Um, does, does this happen to be, I know you've mentioned like uh, in interviews, like April... Yvette uh, Thompson was that like a mentor? No, who pushed- actually, no. Actually, she was uh, she was my coach. Uh, mm-hmm. She was the woman that I hired to coach me in um, like preparation. My, yeah, in preparation. But no, the the friend who pushed me into even applying was Malika Oyetman, who directed the the workshop uh, First Deep Breath in New York. Wow. Um, wow, I did not know that she was incredible. So. Yes, yes, that's my sister from another mister. Um, and so, but yeah, she pretty much, you know, threatened me with violence. You know, she was like, I'll break your legs if you don't do this. And mind you, she's like five, one, like a five foot one Nigerian woman um, <laughs> and sweet as pie, you know, and deadly as snake venom. Yeah. <laughs> so like, uh, and so, you know, listening to her, I was like, you know, I just tend to operate under the mindset of trust black women. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna trust my sister. And and I applied again, um, but this time I was different. Um, this time I, I gave less fucks. 
And I was like, well, I'm just gonna go and like uh, an offer as opposed to like try to get something. And I realized, you know, in that moment of like, the more and more I try to serve, the more opportunities tend to come my way as opposed to like, you know, like how can I get this thing so that I can get noticed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, that's people like usually trying to like validate their humanity through their work, which is a poor stepping stone. You know, like people either try to stand on, stand on top of their wallets or stand on top of their, their accomplishments in order to validate the inches that they lack in their humanity. And yeah, I learned to stop doing that. Um, and it was like, take me as I am. Like, you know, you're going to get into this or you ain't. Uh, <laughs> and ultimately I was able to backdoor my way into like the, the program and train as an actor. But then like graduating, I didn't expect to end up writing a TV because I was just hitting the ground running as an actor. And like, and I, and I love being an actor, you know, I love that part of like my craft. It, it, it really like gave me the tools that I think that are helping me to thrive now as a, uh, as a writer who is also an actor. And so like being in a writer's room and being generous and being collaborative and offering ideas and not being married to one idea or one way of doing things, is just kind of like how I kind of operate. But the flip, side of, the flip side of that too is I'm now in a space where I feel I've learned to empower myself to operate from, I said what I said when I said it, you know, kind of uh, ideology too. Because like, uh, I try to stay open to change, but the things that I know that I know, um, the things that are like, but here are actual like receipts to back up set, you know, mm-hmm. like this thing, like, um, it's like a CVS receipt out there. Just, bruh, <laughs> just, just, it can touch the moon. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, like, and I don't, and y'all know me, like, I don't talk about anything unless I know what the fuck I'm talking about. And if I don't know what I'm talking about, or even just if I'm like it. a little bit not sure, I'm just gonna shut up and listen. And I'm gonna go do my own research so that I can, you know, so that I can form an opinion. Yeah, I think that makes me really valuable uh, in a room to tell stories. But, but this is coming from a kid who was 12, you know, kind of going back to that, but like who didn't think that the things that he had to say were important or that anybody cared. Um, because being a black boy in a public school, everything about my education told me that I didn't matter. You know, you hear, you know, like, oh, education is the future, go to college, do all these things. And I remember like in high school, I was never like a troublemaker, but I remember like, uh, I had this moment in high school and I I think it was like a history class or something like that, where uh, I, in a moment of like a temper tantrum, I took a textbook and I like this, this history book and I threw it across the room and hit this window and it like shattered the window. It didn't like break, but like spider web, you know. Mm-hmm. The and my teacher, and of course, chewed me out. And I had never done anything like that. I was never that kind of kid. And, you know, my teacher chewed me out. That's why I like, you know, y'all don't appreciate nothing and blah, 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 blah. It's like, read me the riot act. Yeah. Like, y'all, <laughs> like, y'all don't appreciate education. You know, like you don't, y'all don't value it, you know. And and I told him, I was like, stop lying to me. It's like, y'all are lying to me. And I know you're lying to me. And he's like, what are you talking about? It was like, you, y'all keep telling us how important education is, but there's like the, the ceiling is leaking in my classroom. There are not enough desks for everybody. So we're like, some of us are standing up. Some of us are leaning on radiators. You know, it's cold, you know, in here. And I got a textbook with my father's name in it that you just gave me. 
because my dad went to the same high school that I did. So that means that like, and my dad graduated in like 78. And so that meant that like, I'm operating from a textbook from 19, at least 19, you know, 74, you know what I mean? Like, and then, but then you're telling me that my education is important and that you value black people and that you value black minds and that I'm supposed to go and chase my dreams and try to be anything that I dream that I can be. But the adults in my life were all lying to me. The systems that I was able to witness were all lying to me. And I could, I, I could feel and see and sense that. And nobody was coming to save me. Nobody was coming to save us. You know, like I was a 14, 15 year old kid at, the mo- at my most vulnerable um, and nobody was there to like, to help. And so like, you know, you got to figure it out. I got lucky where I transferred to uh, a different program in my high school um, called Crossroads. And and the reputation for Crossroads was like, oh, those are the kids that are going to make it. Like that was just like, it was just widely accepted. Like that was what the, or at least how that was presented to me when I was like, you know, a ninth grader. And I was like, oh, well, I want to be one of the kids that make it. So, you know, like, mom transferred me to this program, and they did, and it changed the direction of my life, you know? Um, It was a crossroads. Yeah. (laughs) It truly truly was a crossroads, and I I discovered writing in that program. Mm. Um, Because I I didn't write before then. I discovered writing because a biology teacher gave me a writing assignment. A biology teacher. The smallest... Uh, the smallest things can have sometimes the biggest impact. Shout out to Miss Jaloza. Shout um, out, Miss Jaloza. This 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 black woman biology teacher uh, gave me my very first writing assignment. I can't think of a better metaphor for you than a history textbook shattering some glass, like going through changing, <laughs> like change, uh, uh, changing history, like trying to push through the glass. And we we've talked about, about we've yeah. talked wow. about your past. We've talked about uh, your present. And so I think just to to wrap this up, uh, and I also yield the floor to Drew. I've talked a lot. Is that I'd, let's let's talk a little bit about the future, pushing through that glass, getting the history book on the other side uh, in one piece or not. Hmm. Instead of what you tell your twelve year old self, what, what would what are, what is your conversation going to be like with your future self twelve years down the road? What are you, what, what's next for Lee? You know, you know, it's actually, I would like to, now that I think about, I think I would like to reframe this. I don't think that I would tell my future self something or that I would tell my future or my, or that my past self would tell me something. I actually think it's like, what questions would I ask? Mm. Like what questions would 12 year old me ask of present day me? And what questions present day me would ask of future me? Love it. Um, and there are like, and I actually, I know what these things are because like, I actually had that conversation with myself. So like one of my hobbies, and I share this online sometimes too, is I write letters to myself into the future. And so like, I've accumulated a couple of these over like, you know, years and years and years. And then when I get to a certain point, like I'll, I'll set an email reminder to like, mail me this letter in the, you know, five years from now. Mm-hmm. And then I take the time to uh, respond to that letter to me in the past. So I'm, I'm having this interesting dialogue with myself right now um, between time periods. 
like I wrote a, I wrote a letter to myself like the, uh, the, the day before I started Juilliard and then wow. programmed my email to send me that letter on my graduation day. And when you talk about humbling, that letter mm. from myself wrecked me. And it was uh, the thing that wrecked me the most was there's a line, there's a line in, in that I wrote the past version of myself. I was like, remember, like something along the lines of like, remember why you started. You're going to lose people along the way, but know that that's okay. Or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And not having no idea that my grandmother was going to die right before, like, you know, a month or so before my graduation. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I only just now recently responded to that letter four years later because it was too hard to write. Mm-hmm. It was too hard to answer myself about like, you know, because my future self is like, so what happened? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and I can't, you know, like, in good, like, and even though I know this is just like this weird, like, you know, uh, thing that I'm doing for myself, but I really do like in those letters, I really do pretend as if I'm, ha- I'm truly having an honest conversation with myself and that the past me somehow is going to be able to read it. Um, and so like, what would I, the questions that I would ask a future me, what are, I would ask myself, like, you know, what are the things without telling me the answers? What are the things that I really, what are the qualities that the skills that I need to learn and really stay aware and open to so that I can grow up to be you? One thing that I love about you, Lee, and I, I was planning to say this in the uh, introduction, but I, I, you know, Kanye said I was in the graduation and Kanye has a bar in graduation where he says, like, we never give flowers to those when they're alive. And so I wanted to give a flower to you in that I appreciate and I've come to really admire people and I'm starting to see the pattern I admire people people that are able to ask themselves interesting questions in the way that you clearly have throughout this podcast. You've laid out the certain questions that you ask yourself. And I think that that is really the key is like, like you said earlier, not casting judgment, especially when it's directed upon yourself. Other people, yes, don't judge other people, but when it's yourself, be curious and ask these really important questions and I think because you have that ability, you've been able to find unique answers that other people haven't been able to. And your talent is then to take those answers you found for yourself, distill them into your artistic medium, and then in a way, give other people the implicit per- permission to do the same within their own Well, it's lives. because like the things like we're at the end of the day, like as different as we all are, we're all also the same. Mm-hmm. And our human, like there are just pillars of our humanity that are just not negotiable. And, and that we all, we all hurt, you know, like we all cry, we all feel shame, we all feel joy, we all struggle. We're all walking each other home, Ooh. you know, to quote, to, you know, to quote, to quote, you know, somebody brilliant who I probably heard say that once. Walking each other home. And so like to, to just kind of remember that. And so like if my humanity is universal. If like, you know what I mean? Like if the core parts of myself, the deepest parts of myself are, are universal humanity. So that means that if I want to change the world and I want to reach 
other humans that like the deeper I dive into me and whatever answers I find there, if I, if I boil that down to its coarest truth, then there's something about that that will be universal. And so one of my favorite writers, uh, his name is uh, uh, Robert Greene. Um, and he's a historian and like, uh, he writes books like the 48 laws of power, the art of seduction, the 33 strategies of war, the, uh, laws of human nature. He uses like, you know, uh, history to like analyze these, these really broad, um, themes. And I read this article once, uh, about like, you know, his writer's assistant, excuse me, uh, his writer's assistant was like asking him about. And I'm paraphrasing this terribly, but like it's okay. Was asking him also about also on brand, uh, also on brand for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his writer's assistant was asking him about, you know, how do you write something like how do you write the hit or like you know like how do you write you know create a piece of art that's going to stand the test of time? Mm-hmm. And he said, I think, and again, I'm paraphrasing badly, but like he he said something to her along the lines of like that's the mistake that most artists make is that they try to make the thing that they think is going to be the hit or the number one or the banger or whatever, instead of trying to make a classic. Um, and then, so then it was like, well, how do you make a classic? And his advice to her was like, write about the things that will not change. Mm. And, and so that got me thinking. And, and like, you know, I was very intentional. I, I read that around the time when I was working on First Deep Breath. And so I started asking myself, so what are the things that are not going to change? Fathers and sons are always going to beef with each other. Mothers and daughters are always going to bump heads. People are always going to fall in love. People are always going to experience heartbreak. People are always going to have dreams. People are always going to have shames. And most importantly, everybody's going to have secrets. And it's what we do with those, all of those multifaceted parts of ourselves that's going to like offer, give us our pathway to creating whatever our classics are. So like whenever I'm making anything, I'm always asking like, you know, like, well, can I make this a classic? And what are the things that I can write about or the things that I can bring up in myself if I'm performing that are just not going to change? And then use that as kind of like my platform or jumping off point to create. We all, you know, we all hurt. We all love. We all eat shit and dream, you know? Yeah, man. And so, like, if we can lean into that, maybe there's hope for us to, like, you know, to be better for each other. I believe mm-hmm. so. I believe that so deeply, and I try to stay optimistic. And I think that's a beautiful note to end this. Lee Edward Colston II, do you know how long we've been talking? I don't. How long have we been talking? Bro, we've been talking for over two hours, man. Wow. I mean, I can talk to y'all forever. So I could talk to you forever too, my man. We got, that means we got to bring you back. After yeah, I would love you, uh, to. Crush it. Crush it once again <laughs> as uh, the Renaissance man that I will always look up to and, and strive to be more like. So thank you. Lee, I love you. Thanks again for coming on. Too, bro. The true moth, the living metaphor. You're writing your, <laughs> you're, you're writing your own textbook and you're going to throw it through the fucking window. <laughs> We're, we're so happy to have had your past self, your present self, and your future self on the pod today. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, just to wrap up, where, where can our listeners find you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram. Uh, they can find me on Facebook. If they really want to find me, they can find me on uh, uh, Venmo. That's what they yeah. really ah! Links, links. Yeah, in the drop them Venmo digit. Links in the yeah. description. <laughs> what? 
what what should we what should we uh, watch of yours for those who want to become familiar with your work? Uh, I wrote on season four of Fargo that's about to drop uh, in September. Whoa! Um, so yeah, check that out. Awesome, Fargo uh, season on, on four FX. on FX. All right, Lee. Thanks again. Till next time. Love you, boys. Love you too, bro. Be safe, man. Welcome to the epilogue, or whatever we're going to call it. I, I would say this is like the coda, you know, it's just Ooh. like, it's the tale, it's the end of just oh going chill God. at the coda. Bro, this is my job. The this coda. Job. Oh, I love the that. Coda, okay. Man. That's what it is. So I, Lee Colt, Lee Edward Colston second is a human unlike any other that I've met in my life. And I'm beginning to understand that. You know, even if you have hardships in your life, it makes you a a person of depth, a person of uh, real character. And I think that's something that we don't really talk about as much. Uh, having, being a person of character is so important. From my very first conversation with Lee way back at Juilliard in our little dorm suite, that first conversation was at least an hour. And was just filled mm-hmm. with depth and insight and metaphors and inspiration and struggle and just how to, how to live. And here we are, six, seven years later after that conversation, and my most recent conversation is two hours about depth, life, struggle, overcoming. Uh, so it, it's just really, this, this whole conversation just kind of comes full circle for me. And it leaves just someone happy to have crossed paths with in this life. I've learned so much just by watching him about really focusing on not being so hard on myself. That that's, I was, I was talking to a friend of the pod um, through Instagram DMS just off and on today. And through talking with her, I just realized like, he said, well, first of all, Lee said something about silence is perfection. And perfection is a type of triggering word for me growing up, the, having grown up in the classical music realm, because that's like the, that's what you want, right? You want perfection. Mm-hmm. But you'll never find happiness in per- perfection. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest lie that we're sold is that once you're perfect, everything will be fine, <laughs> right? Uh, you'll be feel, you'll feel more comfortable about yourself. You'll be f- comfortable with your weaknesses, and it's, and you'll accept your strengths. It's right? the Jim Carrey when he gets up and accepts that award. He's just mockingly, you know, when I, when I go to sleep, I am no longer two time Academy Award winning Jim Carrey. Uh. I, I dream of three time Academy Award winning Jim Carrey because then that would be enough. <laughs> <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. Like Lee really he he he's lives through and lives in the struggle. He understands the concept that time is a flat circle. He knows he's going to keep coming back to it. But he also knows that his he can draw a direct line from his highest points to his lowest points. And that awareness of himself of the history of both the world 
and his own history that he can make it. He can do it because he has. One of the biggest lessons that we learn is, I mean, we, we, we spoke about it for sure on the podcast, but it's true. He's a pillar of our generation of creators, right? And, and many people don't even know he is yet, but he truly is for everybody he's ever encountered. And as he enters the space in mainstream culture, you know, producing, you know, not producing, but writing for, you know, season four of Fargo that's coming out on FX, a major station, like he gets to write the stories that really tell, that reach a lot of people, reach millions of people. And these stories tell you what it's like to be human. And so you would honestly want somebody at the helm of a creation like that. You would want somebody who has deep insight onto some of the deepest struggles of what it means to be human. And if, and knowing Lee Colston and knowing that he has experienced a profound life, like I know he has stories to tell that can change the perspective and paradigm that many people are stuck in as we transition as a culture in the United States. Our most recent guest, Sam Walder, brought up a point mm -hmm. of where they were going to take the Trala app, uh, mm -hmm. the company uh, that he founded to reach lots of people, uh, really aiming at beginners and people who would normally not have access to classical music education. He specifically mm -hmm. asked us, how do most people learn things, like actually learn things? How do most people, his example, learn a foreign language? And he said, entertainment it's tv it shows it's the things we love it's the things we don't think that we're learning from that's it's not a just a rosetta stone or a duolingo um it's <laughs> it's entertainment like that's how we enjoy things and so lee bringing in this experience his background his struggle his his whole being into the entertainment sphere i mean it's it's nothing but a a gift for us he he is focused on his mission his why his service. And I, I'm super excited that he's in this entertainment space that will and has already reached millions of listeners. Like that is who you want in the room. I want, mil I want millions of listeners. I want millions Trevor. of listeners too. Well, well Dude. I mean, we are on this podcast. So like, so, it's so how are we, how are we going to get millions of listeners? Uh, I think it's, if you, as a wonderful member of the Faking Fam, share this with a friend of yours, if you rate it five stars, leave a comment, and uh, one day, we will have millions of listeners, and you'll be able to tell all your friends, I listened to Trevor and TVK way back when, during the pandemic. Yeah. Tell me more one about day. the pandemic, tell Poppy. And you, and we had to wear masks. <laughs> while we potted. <laughs> but it's true to be like, wow, they just... I listened to them when they were in the struggle and now look at the, <laughs> but, but for real, y'all like, you know, re just recommend it to a friend. That's really all we're asking for because we, we <laughs> want to grow this family. We learn from you. We bring you on the pod. We're trying to bring more to you. So just, you know, stay in touch. We'll keep this conversation going and, you know, thanks for being a part of this journey so far. And, and just make sure before you come on the pod, make sure you can speak complete sentences. Um, <laughs> And that, you know, you have a healthy relationship with your, your parents. I think that's like a really good bar that we're going to set. <laughs> that's the barrier. Right, but... Trevor? That's the barrier. All right. <laughs> Did your parents love you? <laughs> Check. If so, yeah. <laughs> Come on the Faking Notes podcast and let's talk about it. <laughs> anyway, <it's... laughs> All right. Th thanks again, everyone. 
Um, tune in next time. Yes. Peace out. Peace.